Well, welcome back. Let me just say up front that if there was ever a teaching that you'd want to do in person, this would be one of them. The topic of divorce is an extremely emotional one for many of us. And the reason it's so emotional for many of us is because so many of us have been affected by it. Maybe you yourself have been through a painful divorce. Maybe it's your parents that were divorced, or maybe you've walked with close friends who have been divorced, or people currently that are considering divorce. Many of us have been affected by the reality of divorce in our world, in our culture, in the church. And so this is an emotional topic. And again, if if I had the opportunity to give this in person, I would love to do that. So please hear my heart right out of the gate. I'm going to do my very best this morning to teach what I believe Jesus is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to invite you that if you have any more questions, there's not going to be the opportunity to, to go into every bit of detail this morning. You could do probably three messages on this topic. But I just want to simply today go to the Sermon on the Mount, help us better understand what Jesus is saying to us and what his heart is for marriage and for when a marriage struggles and when sometimes a marriage may die. And so that's where we're going this morning. As I said, divorce has affected many, many people. The current divorce rate in Canada, believe it or not, is 38%. That means that 38% of marriages in Canada will end in divorce. Putting some numbers to that, as of 2020, there were 2.71 million people who had obtained a legal divorce. Some of you have maybe heard this, but COVID-19 is having an effect on divorce. This from the Toronto Star uh, back in June. COVID-19 is going to lead to a spike in divorces. Hear this, like the rest of the world is trending, so it's not just Canada, Canada is going to see an increase in married couples breaking up once COVID-19 restrictions are entirely lifted and the courts are fully back and running. Toronto family lawyer, lawyer Barry Nussbaum expects the spike to exceed the country's average rate of 38%. He says, we're seeing on a monthly basis, we keep tabs on people looking to separate, it, separate and it's about a 20% increase in call volume, probably more, said Nussbaum of Nussbaum Family Law. Nussbaum blames the triple whammy of financial stress, couples being quarantined together, and having children at home for the divorce spike. Some reasons for divorce listed here. You maybe have heard some people have said our relationship ran out of steam or we fell out of love. We became people that were living together, housemates, but we were no longer lovers. There can be a communication breakdown and so there's no communication happening. Another reason for divorce can be that a couple, the children, kids have moved out of the house and then they've been focusing so much on the kids for the last number of years that they look at each other and they don't know who they're staring at. Sometimes a divorce can be caused by unreasonable behavior, infidelity, adultery, a midlife crisis, financial issues, physical, psychological, or emotional abuse. Now you might find it interesting to know that Divorce rates are not going crazy. 
uh, as much as we're still at 38%. And what we're actually seeing is that because of the prominence of divorce, less and less couples are getting married. And so while the divorce rate is not as significantly climbing as it once was, many couples instead are choosing to live together. To, in essence, to move in with someone to kind of do marriage without the formality of marriage. Recently, Andre and I finished a show on Netflix. It's a new show that just came out. It's called The One. And the premise is built upon the idea of finding your perfect match based upon your DNA. Now, tragically, one of the results of this technology is a sharp increase in divorce as married couples send in their DNA and are matched. Now, this show presents a philosophical view of marriage and of divorce while completely dismissing the emotional turmoil and the impact of divorce. Similarly, I think we could look at culture's celebration of when individuals come out, even if it means the breakdown of a relationship, completely avoiding, even at times, the ripple effect upon the children of that couple. What I want to invite you to do right now is we're going to take a pause, and I want to invite you to brainstorm examples from our culture of how divorce is portrayed, and then I want you to answer some of the following questions that are going to appear on the screen before we continue. Take some time to do that now. All right, welcome back. Well, based on the statistics and also what is being portrayed to us, I think we can surmise the following, as what I'm going to list, as growing opinions about divorce and even about marriage in our culture. Firstly, maybe you came up with this, is that divorce is totally fine and its consequences or the consequences of divorce can be minimized. So divorce is fine and its consequences can be minimized. Secondly, I think we could all say that remarriage or finding someone else is a better and acceptable alternative. At least that's the impression or that's the message that we're getting from our culture, that remarriage or finding someone else is a better and an acceptable alternative. I mean, if marriage is about your own happiness, then you ought to find somebody that you can be happy with. Thirdly, and Dave touched on this a couple weeks ago, marriage is a self-centered reality rather than being another centered reality. Marriage is self-centered rather than being other centered. And then fourthly, and I don't know if you address this, but I think it's deeply important as we're talking about divorce and remarriage, is that singleness in our culture, particularly celibate singleness, is just not an option. I mean, in our culture, if you are single, the expectation is that you're sleeping around. And so singleness, particularly celibate singleness, to our culture just does not seem like an option. Now, believe it or not, there were varying views in the Jewish world at the time of Jesus about divorce and about remarriage, which is why Jesus addresses it in the first place. And that's why we're addressing it today, because it comes, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. And so it was on Jesus' heart and on the people's heart that he's teaching. And so we want to answer questions about it. And so with that, go with me to the text. You already read it together. Let's come to understand what Jesus' teaching is and understanding as it relates to divorce and remarriage. Verse 31 of Matthew 5, Jesus said, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, just a reminder, Jesus' emphasis in the Sermon on the Mount in especially in these sections, the ones we were just in and this section, 
is him correcting the misinterpretation of the Mosaic law rather than contradicting the law. This is really important for us to understand. And a reminder that this text is part of a wider text in which Jesus uses, you have heard it said statements, ultimately bringing clarity to the original divine meaning of the Mosaic law. So the question then we ask ourselves as it relates here to Jesus saying, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. What Mosaic law is Jesus referencing and therefore correcting a false interpretation? Well, the law that he is addressing can be found in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 2. These verses are going to appear on the screen for us. We read this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. Now you can go to Deuteronomy 24, you can read additional verses on this, but this is a scenario that Moses is addressing. When a man takes a wife, he marries her. If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he's instructed to write her a certificate of divorce. Now, why would Moses do this? Why would Moses encourage a certificate of divorce to be given? Here is why. A certificate of divorce is to be understood as a concession, not as a command. A certificate of divorce is to be understood as a concession, not as a command. What do I mean by that? Well, a command is given by God. It's his desire. If we look at Genesis 1 and 2 as it relates to marriage, we see that Adam and Eve were both naked. They felt no shame. And what God says is a man and woman shall leave their father and mother, and they shall be united to one as one flesh marriage. And so what does God desire? That when a man and woman leave their father and mother and come together, that that would be a one flesh union continuing, not divorcing. That's God's command. However, in the scriptures, we have concessions after the fall. And concessions are not what God intends. And they're given because of a human hardness of heart, because of our hard hearts. Concessions are given. And so in this case, Moses says, if you choose to leave your wife, you must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, why a certificate of divorce? Well, a certificate of divorce was about advocating for women. Hear what Ben Witherington writes in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark. Specifically, a bill of divorce or certificate of divorce was required to be given to the woman to make clear that she was no longer married. Jesus seems to suggest that the Mosaic provision was meant to limit a problem, concession, not license a practice that in essence goes against God's original intentions for marriage, command. Okay, so that's background point number one, the law that Jesus is referencing. Another background point worth recognizing is the different schools of thought within Judaism at the time. And based upon Moses' concession of writing a certificate of divorce, there was debate amongst rabbis in Jesus' day about the phrase, some indecency in her. Once again, if you go back to the law, what does it say? If the man finds some indecency in her, he's to write her a certificate of divorce. Well, what is this something indecent? referencing. Now, there was the school of Shammai. Maybe you can say Shammai. 
Shammai. And he argued that something indecent meant adultery only. So adultery was the only concession or ground that a husband could write his wife a certificate of divorce. On the other end was the school of Hillel, who argued that something indecent could be anything that you don't like about your wife. Anything you don't like about your wife. So she burns the bread. She doesn't care for your kids the way you want. She slept in. You had the right to write your wife a certificate of divorce. Okay, so with these background pieces in mind, let's go to what Jesus says next. Let's first review verse 31. Now that we have some context. Jesus says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. What does he say next? But I say to you, That everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. All right, so what is Jesus doing here? Well, first, it seems that Jesus is laying forth a concession or a ground for divorce. And then he provides an additional comment regarding the legitimacy or illegitimacy of marriage. And so what I want to do is I want to take each of these in turn. First, the ground or concession for divorce. Now, I don't solely want to look at Matthew's gospel here. I want us also to go to Mark, in which Jesus also does a teaching on divorce. And so this verse will be on the screen from Mark 10, verse 5 to 9. Here's what Jesus says about marriage. And Jesus said to them, and about divorce, because of your hardness of heart, he, speaking of the commandment, wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What is Jesus doing here? He's affirming the creation order and marriage between a man and a woman. He also is saying that he doesn't provide any ground for divorce at all. Commenting on this text, D. Jewell from Witherington's Gospel of Mark writes, Jesus' forbidding of divorce is clearly a statement about the status of women in society. They are to be safeguarded as vulnerable members of society. Crucial to their survival has always been economic support. Easy divorce of of women with young children means abrogating responsibility for caring for the most important members of society at a time of maximum vulnerability. The community that forms around Jesus will be an alternative community. So what is Jesus addressing here in Mark? He's saying to the men, you cannot easily divorce your wife. Divorce is never was God's intention at all. And women need to be protected. I mean, that was also a huge reason behind giving a woman a certificate of divorce. So that she could have life after her husband decided to leave her. To prove that she was in fact divorced and separate from him. So that's what's going on in Mark. If there's no grounds provided in Mark, what's going on in Matthew? Well, scholars believed that Matthew has amended the Mark and accounts because Matthew has his Jewish audience in mind. Remember, context is important. And separation of a married couple without divorce was not a legal possibility in early Judaism. 
Divorce in Jesus' setting amongst the Jews was also without exception, and in general in the culture, a male privilege. Jesus' appeal is that men and women were created equal. Were created equal. So in Matthew 19, a later chapter in Matthew, Matthew 19 verse 9, we read, in Jesus answering a question, he says, And I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So once again, the question posed to Jesus in Matthew 19 is about a legitimate cause for divorce. And Jesus' answer here regarding sexual immorality is not intended to be exhaustive. Therefore, what he's thinking about is a ground for divorce rather than legitimacy of divorce. In other words, if I could put it more simply, you could, Jesus is saying, you could divorce for this reason, but you don't have to. You could divorce for this reason, but you don't have to. Okay, so that's on the ground or the concession for a divorce to take place. But then what does he say? He said that remarriage is an act of adultery. Now, it should be worth noting here that he calls both the man and the woman an adulterer. Again, in that day, it would have been common for the woman to be considered adulterer, but not for the man to be considered an adulterer. And so what does Jesus say? Once again, Ben Witherington, as it relates to remarriage, Jesus seems to assume that the first one flesh union is still in full force even after the divorce. Hence, the second marriage is seen as an act of adultery. But that, against the normal use of the term in antiquity, it is the man who is called an adulterer. Remarriage. Okay. A lot of details, a lot of culture, a lot of context. What is Jesus' point? What is Jesus telling us in these two verses? I think, firstly, it's this. Divorce is a concession Because there are times on this side of heaven when a marriage dies. Divorce is a concession. Remember, it's not a command. What is a concession? It's given because of our hardness of heart, the brokenness introduced at the fall, and our own sin. Because there are times on this side of heaven prior to Jesus' return when a marriage dies. Some examples. When you've been fighting exhaustively, And one person checks out. They're unwilling to work at it. There's no repentance. There's no humility. You can think of abusive situations when a, uh, a marriage will die. And again, there's no repentance. There's no humility. Question then comes up for many people is, well, when is it okay to walk away? When could divorce not be considered a sin? You know, in Matthew 19, Jesus does mention adultery or sexual immorality. In 1 Corinthians 7, Jesus, or Paul, I should say, Paul mentions abandonment. The question then, if Jesus saying adultery and Paul saying abandonment, is, is Paul disagreeing with Jesus? And I would say no, because I don't believe that Jesus gives an exhaustive list. And what Jesus' heart is, and God's heart is, it's always repentance and reconciliation and for a marriage to last. Taste 1 Corinthians 7, 10 to 11. This would be Paul. He says, I give 
to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. So divorce is a concession because there are times on this side of heaven when a marriage dies. But then second point that Jesus is making is that remarriage should never be considered as the alternative or solution to your current marriage. Let me say that again. Remarriage should never be considered as the alternative or solution to your current marriage. Now within Christianity, there's two views on remarriage. And the first view of this is this, that remarriage is not okay. Remarriage is not okay. And this is based on the logic that we find of Jesus' words in Mark 10. Because remarriage would be committing adultery against your first spouse. Once again, Ben Witherington writes, Jesus' argument seems to be as follows. God in creation made two distinct but complementary human genders. God then also brought the two complementary genders together in marriage. No third part is allowed to enter this relationship. Anyone who seeks to divide those who share such a marriage and one flesh union attacks not only the marriage and the two united in it, but God who brought them together as well. The creator and the creation order both undergird marriage. If in fact a couple so joined together do divorce... They must not remarry one anyone else because to do so would be adultery. While Jesus recognizes the reality of divorce, he does not think this legitimizes remarriage if the original couple were joined together by God in the first place. Now this view obviously prevents, pre- presents some challenges to us. One, as I said earlier, is that single and celibate does not seem like a satisfying option in our culture or if we're honest in the church. And my heart for our church is that we would create spaces where single people who are living celibately can thrive, that they would be welcomed into families, that they would be welcomed in, that they wouldn't be treated as second. But this is an obvious challenge for us that following a divorce... It's like, what are you telling me? I need, I need to live singly, live as a single person? That doesn't seem like a great option. So that's a challenge to this view of that remarriage is not okay. Secondly, I would just, just recognize that for many of us, this doesn't seem sensible based on our own emotions or how we feel. But we have to remember we're dealing with Jesus here and we're talking about the church. Right? We're talking about the church. When Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's laying out, he's saying, this is what the kingdom of God is to look like. So he's speaking to believers. He has believers in mind, followers of Jesus in mind. Another challenge is, I think that a lot more Christian couples would fight for their marriages if they believed that remarriage was not an option. The statistic is that 65% of divorced couples say that they would have fought harder if they knew all that was involved in their divorce. Okay, so that's view one falling under that remarriage should never be considered as an alternative or solution to your current marriage. View one, remarriage is not okay. View two is remarriage is okay and is permitted, especially if there are biblical grounds or concessions to the first marriage ending. With that, though, I would say that there are some guidelines that I'd encourage people in these sorts of situations to consider. 
One, you can, should consider remarriage only if all attempts at repentance and reconciliation have been exhausted. Only if all attempts at repentance and reconciliation have been exhausted. Secondly, I would say after a time of waiting, and I'm not thinking months, I'm thinking years. I would say also remarriage is okay if after you've dealt with the baggage that you carry. Because believe it or not, divorce rate in second marriages are twice as high of that in your first. And I would also say that remarriage is okay if it, if it also, if you get the blessing and the affirmation of your community, that being your family, the elders of your church, your church family, your, themselves, friends. Now, as it relates to both of these views, both views need to be landed on with trepidation because we're dealing with Jesus and his teaching here. But once again, remarriage should never be considered as the alternative or solution to your current marriage. Now, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to Jesus' teaching? Firstly, God's heart is always, always repentance and reconciliation, which includes forgiveness. God's heart is always repentance and reconciliation. The gospel of Jesus tells you and I that we are more sinful and lost than we could ever imagine, but more loved, forgiven, adopted, and accepted than we could ever dream. What this means is that there's no such thing as one side. Both individuals in a marriage are sinners who are sinning against each other. And we need to remember that we got to avoid the fact of simply putting blame on one spouse. In repentance and reconciliation, if we talk about the heart of marriage, it's at the heart of a healthy marriage. Repentance and reconciliation is at the heart of a healthy marriage. And it often takes long, hard work for marriages to work and for things to be made right. I just want us to imagine if the church took seriously this teaching from Jesus and the divorce rate in the church became significantly lower than the divorce rate in our culture. I have to imagine that the world would take notice of that. Another thing to mention as far as response is divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. I remember hearing a story of someone who had experienced a divorce and the first time that they stepped foot into another church, they felt like they were walking around with a big D for divorce on their forehead. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Just a reminder, in Ephesians 2, we're told that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11, Paul lists sins or practices But then he says that you and I were washed by Jesus. So while divorce goes against God's original design as intention, it is something that can be repented of. And there's also, it's also a place where Jesus can provide healing. Because in Christ, Jesus will redeem anything. And then finally, as we respond, Jesus has the cure for hardness of heart. Jesus' reality and his kingdom reality is absolutely the cure for divorce. Every single one of us come to Jesus 
and we're on the same level ground. The ground is level in front of Jesus. We come with our sin. We come with our mistakes. We come with our patterns. We come with our behaviors. We come with our unbelief towards God. And Jesus has the cure for that hardness of heart. I don't know specifically where you're at this morning in your marriage right now, if you're married. And maybe divorce or separation has been playing it out in your mind. I want to invite you to reach out to us. You don't have to go through this alone. And divorce does not need to be the option. If you've been divorced... I want you to know once again that you're loved, that God is gracious, that Christ came to die for our shortcomings and for our hardness of heart. And he wants you to know his incredible love. I want to invite you now in response to answer some questions, either with those that you're with personally right now or with those maybe you're gathering with together online.